invite you to turn with me to the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians. I am equal parts excited to preach today and dreading preaching today, which I think is how you would define anxious, a mixture of excitement and dread. Before I begin reading today, I want you to know that my primary concern as your pastor is your relationship with the Lord. It is what I worry about. It is what I spend my time praying about. It is what I spend my time concerned with. It is how are the people of Faith Church walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ? I worry about you individually for that, and I worry about us collectively for that. But I want you to know that ultimately what we see and how we are walking with Christ is expressed in our worship of Christ. I will see evidence, not I, as though I'm some judge, we see the evidence of our lives and how we are walking with the Lord and how we worship the Lord. We've seen it even here today, haven't we? You saw my wife and she was filled up in her testimony. She's been walking closely with the Lord that caused an excitement in her that had bubbled over and her thankfulness and and her praise of the Lord just in being here today and being able to serve the Lord amongst the family of God. Now, I don't say that to uplift my wife. I wasn't planning that she was going to do that today, but she's the one who did. And if any one of you had done that, I would be using you as the example instead. But I want you to know is that how we are walking with the Lord is going to be put on display here on Sunday mornings. You can tell the temperature of the church when you walk into the church and you see how the people are worshiping the Lord. You've seen that surely in your life. You've gone from this place to that place and you walk in and it's just as cold as ice in that church. You've been there, haven't you? I've been in those places. If we're honest, we collectively here at Faith Church, we've had seasons where we've been in that place. They're not good places to be. But when we see those things, what we should be chiefly concerned about is our individual walks with the Lord. Where is it that we stand before Him? How are we walking with Him? How is our lives reflecting what we have been given, what has been imputed to our account in His righteousness? Are we walking by faith in Jesus Christ, reflecting His righteousness to the world? If we are, it will be reflected in how we worship. I'm going to talk to you today, I'm going to preach to you today about giving. And all of a sudden, everybody got a little tighter. Everybody checked their wallet, they checked their pocketbooks. pastor's going to preach about giving. Everybody gets a little anxious. Listen to me. The point of this message, at its principal position, has to do with your worship. It has to do with your worship. You see, I'm not concerned about how much is in your bank account. I'm not concerned even about the dollar figure that you give to the church. And I want you to know that God's really not all that interested in your money anyway. 
He owns all of it. It's all his. Listen, God's not hurting for cash. He's the owner of a cattle on a thousand hills. God is rich. He's rich in love and he's rich in mercy and he owns it all. But what God is interested in is your heart. And he's interested in your heart as it relates to your worship. And so today, as we look at this, I want you to be very clear about what we're dealing with here is a heart issue. This isn't a math issue. This is a heart issue. And what we're dealing with here is a worship issue. And so please take that into consideration as you would hear and as you would read with me today as we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to start reading at verse 6. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he's writing concerning their giving to the saints, specifically the saints at Jerusalem. He says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, For God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower... Both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints or the needs of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgiving unto God. While by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your, listen to this, for your professed subjection into the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Listen to verse 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And we'll stop there at the conclusion of chapter 9. Paul is writing concerning giving, concerning the charitable giving of the people of God, specifically in this case and in this instance, to the saints that are gathered in Jerusalem. And he was writing concerning the nature of of giving. And you first note that he talks about it from the standpoint of of sowing seed. This applies even today. I know we don't have that same culture and, and economy as they did then that was so based on farming, but we can all understand this. Yesterday they were tilling out behind my house, the field out behind my house, stirring up just a, a big cloud of dust. But I want you to know that farmer that was, that was plowing his field, that was tilling up his field, if he's looking for a bumper crop this year, he's not going to withhold the seed that he's trying to sow. The farmer who's looking for a bumper crop, he's going to sow the seed liberally, isn't he? Because if he sows the seed liberally, if he sows the seed without constraint, if he sows the seed freely, he can expect then that he will reap exactly what it is that he sows. We live in a sowing and reaping world, don't we? That continues today. 
Put at the simplest form, at one point Paul was writing concerning our need to work. And he said simply, if you don't work, you're not going to eat. It's a sowing and reaping world. You get what you put in. What you put in is what you get out. And so we must be mindful of, of our giving from this standpoint that the scriptures teach us to give freely. At one point, the scriptures teach us to give in a way that our right hand doesn't know what our left hand is doing. What's it mean by that? That we're just supposed to just be tossing out money everywhere? <laughs> no. What it is instilling instead in us is that we are supposed to give according to the desires of our heart that are purposed for the Lord. And that we give so freely that we're not concerned about the math problem as much as we are about the heart's matter in giving for the cause of the Lord. You see that? He comes next and he says, Every man according as he purposes in his heart. Did you hear what he said? He didn't say every man a tenth, did he? He said, Every man according as he purposes in his heart. Now, let me say something about tithing. I think I need to insert this here. I want you to know that I think tithing is a very good model for us to follow in giving. But I do want you to know that we do not see a command given in Scripture that says, Thou must give a 10% of your first fruits. We don't see that command. There's not an 11th commandment that was given at Mount Sinai that tells us that. And we don't see the New Testament, an instruction concerning that tithe in a specific way. I do, though, think that it's a very good model for the believer to, to look to and how we give to the Lord. As your pastor, I don't mind telling you, I give a tenth to the church. That's my model. I'll tell you I give more than a tenth, but that's my model. It's my, my, my baseline is I start with a tenth. And I'll tell you specifically how I give. Before I ever spend a dime that, that I earn... I want you to know I give to the tax man what the tax man asked for, and I give to the Lord a tenth before I ever spend a dime. And I'm just telling you that because I think it's good for you to have the transparency and visibility into how I, as your pastor, the one who's preaching you these things, is convinced and live in my giving. But it says, every man according to the purpose of his heart. You see, God was not interested in giving a law concerning our giving. He's interested in your heart. Your relationship to the, with the Lord will be reflected in how you give. Derek, are you making this then some measure of my faithfulness? Let's consider that question as we continue to read on. He says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Then he talks about the nature of our hearts in giving. He says, so let him give not grudgingly. You ever see somebody put money into the plate? They're just, ugh, I don't know if I can lay that in there. That's not the attitude of the heart of the giver that God's looking for. But one who would give, he says, cheerfully. But before he says not to give cheerfully, he says also to not give by necessity or by obligation. That we are to give not as a tenth because we are obligated in some way to pay some sort of tax to the Lord. Listen, our giving is not the Lord taxing us for our earnings. 
I think sometimes that's the, the danger of trying to uphold a tithe as though it is some law that has been given of the Lord. Instead, He is interested in our hearts and how we relate to what He provides to us. We give back of what the Lord Himself gives to us. I want you to know today, every dollar that I've ever earned, every dollar that you ever earned, you have earned by the grace of the Lord. He has given you the ability to work. He has given you the physical ability. He's given you the mental ability. He's given you the help that you need to be able to perform that labor. He is the one who has given us of the fruits of our harvest. And so it is right then that we would cheerfully give back to Him in blessing of how He has blessed us. And so He says not grudgingly and not of obligation or of compulsion, but that God loves a cheerful giver. One who gives and delights in His giving. Who gives not for the purpose of so it is some requirement of His faith, but gives cheerfully because of His faith. And there's a careful difference that I want you to note in that. Not of a requirement of His faith, but as a cheerful reason, a joyful reason, and be, that is because of His faith. I want you to know today that I practice giving to the Lord's church because I find it to be a joyful thing to return to the Lord was it what is His anyway. I, I, let me say this. Do you know it's impossible to outgive the Lord? You can't do it. And you know what else? I'll, I'll tell you this just by reason of, of what I found in life. I have never found that when I've given to the Lord that I was when later was made to regret it. Never once did I give to the Lord then later thought, I wish I hadn't done that. Never one time. Instead, what I found is said, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with this and I don't know how I'm going to eat later this week, but I'm going to trust you to do it. And time and time again, the Lord has proven Himself faithful. He has proven Himself faithful. I'll tell you this, I've seen this from the time I was a kid. I have seen God's people give to the Lord. I have seen how God has blessed them for their faithfulness. That's what Paul describes to the Corinthians as we keep going. He says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Do you see that? God is able to display His unmerited favor to you in an abundant ways and in ways that would just make your head spin. He says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. The idea that, that Paul is prescribing here is one that in giving... God is able to continue to bless you that you might keep giving. Isn't that incredible? You see, the Lord, I just told you, He owns it all. And as a result of that, if God desired that He would somehow have funds raised for His cause in other ways, He could. But He delights in using the hearts of His people to perform the work that He's desiring to perform amongst us. It's the same idea that we look at when we think about the call of the gospel. 
God has chosen the church as the primary vehicle of carrying the gospel. You've probably heard it said before, and I have too. If God wanted to, He could have wrote the gospel in, in bright neon letters on the sky. But He chose instead to use His church as the means by which He would reach this world. He's looking to use the faithfulness of His people to carry out what God desires. As a result of that then, He delights in us when we are obedient to Him. He delights in us when we're obedient in carrying the gospel. And we're going to see in a minute that He delights also when we are obedient in giving to His cost. To His cause. It says, as it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, and he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Listen to verse 10. Now he that ministereth, he that serves, that gives seed to the sower, the one who gives you the seed to sow. Think about that. What, did he, what was the very first thing we read in verse 6? He gave this, this comparison to one who would sow seed. And one who is expecting a bumper crop is going to sow his seed freely that he might also reap bountifully. And so we're being prescribed this instruction to freely give. And if we freely give, we will freely harvest. Our harvest will be bountiful. And now he's telling us that the one who provides us the seed, the one who gives us the seed to sow is the Lord. The one who gives us the means to give is the Lord. If the one who has given us the means to give is the Lord, don't you also think He is able to give us the means that we need to have bread? Don't you think that He is also able to give us the means that we need to have shelter? Don't you think that He is also able to give us the, the means that we need to have clothing? To have the transportation that we need? If God is the one who gives to us the seed to sow, then He is the one who is also able to provide us the bread for us to eat. It's all the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all is His. And He is interested in how we steward that little portion that He gives to us to steward. And how you are relating to what the Lord has entrusted to your hands to steward will be realized, it will be reflected in how you give. You guys remember a couple weeks ago when we were in revival back in March and Brother Barry was here? And Brother Barry on several occasions he made mention about how to whom much is given, much is required. And he was speaking specifically about our children, about how we're blessed here with so many young children, how there's a great requirement upon us with these young children. Well, I want you to know that same scriptural principle, that to whom much is given, much is required, it holds true across the board. That whatever you have been entrusted with, God has an expectation for you to use it according to what He has laid out for us in the Scriptures. Did you know there is a biblical way in which God instructs us to handle money? I want you to know also that's the very first time in this sermon I've said the word money. Did you know that? Again, 
God's not interested in what's in your bank account. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in your heart. How are you relating to the Lord? How are you relating to what He has entrusted to you to give? Now I need to say this, and I should have said this earlier. When it comes to this principle of giving, I want you to know the principle that is taught biblically is that we give of our first fruits. Now, I don't know about you. I don't get paid in apples. Maybe you do. I get paid in a salary. It's not given to me in apples. But if I was to go out into an apple field, apple field, apple orchard, if I was to go out to an apple orchard, I would remember that more quickly in the fall than I do in the spring. If I was to go out to an apple orchard, and I was to take a basket with me, and I was to pick a bunch of apples to the point that I filled up that basket, and I carry it back with me, the Lord is ask, has asked, expects, that we would give of the first fruits of our harvest. That before I would take those apples and I would wash them and give them to my children, or I would wash them that I might take and eat of it, that I would give first a portion to the one that gave me the ability to go out there and pick the apples, and also the one who allowed that apple tree to grow and to come to fruit. That I would first be mindful to give a portion to him. That's what it means when we say a first fruit. And so when we talk about a first fruit and giving to the Lord, I want you to know that should be a priority for us in how we handle what the Lord has entrusted to us. What am I saying? Let me make this real clear. I pray that at some future point, the Lord will allow me to, to preach or maybe teach a lesson concerning stewardship more broadly about the biblical ways to, to use what the Lord's given us, the biblical ways to use our finances and, and how we're supposed to relate to that inward money, how we're supposed to, to handle those things. But I want you to know the very first principle that we see given for this is that we would give a first fruit offering unto the Lord. This is a foundational thing because the rest of that relates to stewardship. This relates to worship. This relates to your heart. If you don't get this part right, I can tell you, listen to me. (laughs) I want to be careful in, in the words I use. If you are struggling financially, I want you to consider first your relationship with the Lord. Start there. Start there. You might say, well, Derek, you don't understand. I can't make ends meet this week. Listen to me, I do understand. What I understand is that the one who can perform and give grace to you abundantly is the one to whom you should go to first. Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to make these ends meet. But I do know that I am depending fully upon You. And so I give myself to You, Lord. And I say, Lord, what can I do? What are You looking for me? How can I make it through this week? How can I look to You and find that Your grace indeed would be abundantly, would be abundant towards me? I recognize that there are challenges 
that we bear. And I recognize that especially in the day and age that we live in where everything costs a lot more today than it did a couple years ago. I pulled up to a gas pump the other day and I went to pump my gas before I did. I looked up at the person that was there before me and I said 120 something bucks for that person to buy a tank of gas. Stuff's expensive. I get it. I do. But the Lord's interested in your heart. Before He's interested in anything else, He's interested in your heart. How we relate to that M word, how we relate to what the Lord has given us to steward, will be reflected in how we give. He said, being enriched. Did you hear that? Being enriched. In everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. God is able to enrich us. You know, I was first studying this, I heard that word enrich, and I got to thinking about bread. And I don't know if you've ever looked on a label of bread before, but there's some bread you'll buy, and it talks about being enriched. There's things they've added to that, to, to put vitamins in it, or to make it more bread, bread-like. I don't know what they do with it, but they say, they, they say it's enriched anyway. They're adding to it, is the point. The Lord is able to add to us what it is that we stand in need of. But He's asking us first to display our faithfulness and our worship to Him in giving. You see that? Let me tell you this. I was going to say this for, for, for later, but let me go ahead and tell you. Have you guys read about the widow that Jesus saw giving in the temple? You guys remember that story? It's not a story. It's an account. Jesus, one day, he was sitting, it says, over against the, the wall from the temple where, where the treasury was. And essentially, you can go and read about this in the Old Testament, about the treasury that was built. And probably the easiest way for me to describe it to you was it would be similar to, to an offering plate, right? It was the place where they would come and, and make of a, a charitable gift to the treasury, to the temple. And so he was sitting there, and, and I can just about picture Jesus there. He's sitting, and he's, he's watching as people come up and they give. And you see people and they get out and they have in their hand whatever they have and they sort out what they're going to give and they put the rest back in their pocket and they go on their way. It doesn't say how long he sat there, but apparently he sat there for some amount of time and he's watched so many people go through the doors and walk by the treasury and give just a certain amount and go on. Then he saw a poor widow lady. That's what the scriptures say. It says she was in poverty. Probably didn't look the best to the world. Probably was notable. But you could probably tell that she was widowed and poor and looking at her. And it said that she went up to the treasury and that she put in two mites. Now, a mite was the lowest denomination of currency that was around there in those days. According to what I've read, it was about, one mite was about an eighth of a penny. Now, I don't know if that would exactly correlate in today's dollars or not. So probably the simplest way for us to think about it is that she put in two cents. Jesus saw her doing that and he called for his disciples to come over to him. And he said, I want you to know that poor widow woman gave more than any of these others. Now he's watched people put in no telling what amounts into the treasury of the temple. And now he's watched a woman put two cents in, two, two little mites 
into the treasury. And I'm sure you could see the disciples, the look on their faces and saying, what do you, what do you mean, Jesus? She, 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 first off, what was so important for you, for you to motion us to come over here and, and for you to tell us this? And second of all, Jesus, she, she only gave two cents. What do you mean that she gave more than all these other people? That, that guy put in a whole lot more. What do you mean she only gave a little? Or she, that she gave more than they did, seeing that she only gave a little. And Jesus answered, and or Jesus told him, he said that she gave all that she had. He said in her poverty, she gave all that she had, while the others had gave of their excess. You see, the others took of all that they had, and they considered all that they wanted to spend, all that they wanted to do, and they gave the Lord what was left. This poor widow woman gave him instead all that she had. Do you see the difference? How we relate in giving as it relates to a matter of the heart, as it relates to a matter of worship, is to not give the Lord from what's left. Listen, because what you'll find is that you won't have anything left. (laughs) But instead it is to give the Lord first of what it is that we would be able to give to Him. We'll be able to give back what He has entrusted us with. And in so giving that He would see the actions of the faithfulness of our hearts. And we trust and we know then that He is able to allow that His grace would be abundant towards us. That we'd be enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. Listen to verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. He said, your giving then doesn't just help these saints that are at Jerusalem. He says, but also then, it becomes an act of worship, a matter of worship, where we see those that would have received crying out in thanksgiving unto the Lord. Listen to verse 13. This is, this is really where I wanted to focus today. He said, while by the experiment, while by the proof of this ministration, the evidence of this ministry, they glorify God, for your professed subjection into the gospel of Christ. Paul says that the the reason for their rejoicing, the reason for their thanksgiving, the proof of the ministry, the proof of your service, has been realized in that you have been obedient unto the gospel of Christ. Did you hear that? Our giving is an act of service Unto the Lord. Our giving is an act of obedience unto the Lord. Derek, am I sinning by not giving? I will stop short of saying that you are in sin if you are not giving, but I will tell you that you are outside the will of God for your life if you are not giving. God's will for His people is that they would be cheerful givers. Full stop. God's will for His people is that they would be cheerful givers. He says that they would glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution, that means your liberal sharing, your liberal giving, unto them and unto all men. An unrestrained sharing... Maybe instead of saying giving, we can say sharing. That's ultimately the purpose of what we're trying to do is we are sharing then in the ministry of the Lord. I will tell you this. 
Last week was the ordination services for Brother Brent Summers, and he's been serving in, in, in a mission capacity out in Putnam County, and Lord willing, that church will organize before long, and I sure hope that it does. And we have other missionaries that are in the field, and certainly we have heard and, and seen of, of the work that Brother Paul Bryson has done in Africa, and Brother Rick Jones, what he has done down in Jamaica and down in the Caribbean, and we see the work now going on of Brother Shoulders down in uh, Belize, and, and we've heard of other works in Guatemala and different places of the world and places here domestically. And I want you to know it would be a very, very good thing if God's churches were able to make our missionaries full-time. It would be a very good thing if these men that God had called to far-off places of the world never had to worry about whether or not they were going to have what they needed to be able to serve the Lord as He's called them to do. It would be a very good thing if Monty didn't have to worry about finances while he was down in Belize or that Rick Jones while he's in the Bahamas or Brother Bryce and the work that carries on that he started out in in Africa or all these different things that have, have taken place. It would be a good thing if these missionaries were full-time, wouldn't it? It'd be a good thing if our pastors were full-time. I'm not saying that begrudgingly. Y'all could not pay me a dime, and I'd still pastor you just the same. But I'll tell you this. The ministry is best when it is supported by God's people. And we should give faithfully to that cause. I have more that I could say about that. They would all be opinions. I'm not interested in sharing with you my opinions. I'm trying to share with you what the, what the Word of God says concerning our giving. God loves a cheerful giver. We give not by obligation. We give not by compulsion. We give not by a law that says to give. We give not grudgingly, as the Scriptures say. But I do want you to know, our giving is an indication of our hearts. I pray that God will allow our hearts to abound in His grace, that we might be able to give cheerfully as He desires for us to give. Whether or not you can only give $5 or you give $500, the Lord's not too often concerned about the number that you are able to give. He's concerned with your heart. My mom used to say something to me when I was a kid. I came out, I don't know, Logan or Michael's age, and I'd start complaining about having to wake up and go to church or having to stop riding bikes and playing games or whatever I was doing in the afternoons and go to church on a Sunday night. And I'd say, but Mom, I'm, I'm tired, or Mom, I'm busy. And you know what she would say to me in those moments? And I, I just shut me up. I had no argument to make. I just bowed my head and and went on and and did whatever she told me to do, she would say, I'm sure glad Jesus wasn't too tired when He went to the cross for you. Or she would say, I'm sure glad that Jesus wasn't too busy to die on the cross for you. What could I say to that? I was found out. I just hung my head and I went on and got in the car. I got out of bed and got ready or whatever it was that, that I needed to do. She just knew right where to press on that to get me. Paul does the same thing here. 
You see what Paul says as he concludes? He says, Thanks be unto God for His indescribable gift. Paul has labored throughout this entire ninth chapter, and he is writing and encouraging and teaching the people of the church at Corinth to give and to give cheerfully. And he gets to the end and he says, if you need some gauge, if you need some barometer concerning your giving, concerning, consider how the Lord has shown His giving to you. Thanks be unto God for His undescribable gift. What was that undescribable gift? What was that unspeakable gift? Was he meaning that he's just relating back to what they would give? I don't think he was. I think he was referring to the gift of Christ Jesus. The gift of eternal life and salvation that has been purchased through us by God giving His only begotten Son that whosoever believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is the indescribable gift. If you need some measuring stick, if you need some barometer concerning how we are to give, look into the Lord. Look into the Son of God on the cross at Calvary. Look into the sin debt that was paid on our behalf. There was a debt that we owed. There was a payment that had to be made. And we couldn't make it. Yet God gave His only begotten Son. He gave Him to us. He gave Him on our behalf. He stood in our death place. He paid a debt that He did not owe that I might receive the eternal riches of heaven in glory with God. How higher a gift has been given for us. If we want to consider ultimately how we are to give, we look to the One who has given His only begotten Son for us. This is the indescribable gift. This is the one who is the gift that is unspeakable in its glory, unspeakable. And how it is that we would try to heap upon it the worth that it is due. He gave what cannot be quantified. He gave what cannot be considered as some percentage of what God would have. You see, Jesus... Gave it all. That we might be able to have eternal life. That we might be able to find pardon of our sins. That we could find escape. That we would be ransomed from our bondage to sin. That we would be set free. God gave His Son freely. And Jesus Christ did not hold back in giving His life for our sakes. That we might be able to taste of the riches of God. Yet, my friend, here we see that He describes to us and tells us that God loves just a cheerful giver. And He's illustrated for us in different places throughout Scriptures. Just like I gave the example of this widow who gave two mites. Jesus, His heart went out in love and compassion for this widow woman. Not because she gave a lot, but because she gave according to the purposes of her heart. My friends, I am interested in your worship. I am interested in your relationship to the Lord. I am interested in our worship as a church. There are so many (laughs) exciting things that lay ahead of us as a church. Do you know that? I mean, sometimes I just think, Lord, I I, I don't know. Lord, I I just sit sometimes. I, I can't even begin to articulate 
what it is that I've seen the Lord to, to have performed or what I see the Lord continuing to perform or, or what it seems as though I expect Him to continue to perform as time would carry on. But I want you to know, church, if we are going to be a people that God can use, do you hear me? A people that God can use to accomplish His purposes, that He can use to accomplish His will for us as a church, to accomplish His will for this community here in Franklin, we must be cheerful givers. That's God's desire for you. That's God's desire for me. Just to be a cheerful giver. Best I know, Brother Chris, you can stop the recording. Best that I know, this is first time nearly 10 years that I have preached exclusively on the subject of giving. Did you know that? I point that out to tell you I'm really not interested in how much you're giving. I am critically interested in your heart. I want to see God's people living abundantly for the Lord. I want to see God's people giving themselves in sacrifice to the Lord. You've heard me preach time and time again about us sacrificing our preferences for the work of the Lord. But our sacrificial worship is not only in sacrificing our preferences, our presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice it covers every aspect of our lives. Your thought life, your family life, your work life, your school life, your life with your friends, your relationships, yes, even your finances. That we would present ourselves a living sacrifice. Why? That we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, in sacrificing and giving to the Lord, we are able to prove out the will that He has for our lives. Young people, you're at places in your lives where you're trying to figure out what's in store, what's ahead of you. What's God's plan for my life? What's God's will for my life? Sister Haley's graduating. Sister Olivia's graduating. What's next in their lives? What's, what's God's will for their lives? If you want to prove out what God's will is for your lives, it is that we would live and present ourselves as a living sacrifice to Him. Yes, even when it comes to giving. One more thing that I want to say, and I'll, I'll, I'll conclude. As it comes and as it relates to our giving as a way of sacrifice. You guys remember several years ago when my father-in-law, Brother Tim Binion, came and, and he, he helped us in revival? It's been several years back now. But he came and he helped us in revival. You guys remember what he preached that first Sunday evening? He preached about bringing something with you. 
when you come to worship. Do you remember that? About what are you going to bring to the Lord in your worship? Now, Brother Tim was talking a lot more than just us giving when he was preaching that. But I want you to know it isn't excluded. We don't bring doves and sheep into the temple of the Lord to make sacrifice. And I'm sure glad we don't. (laughs) But I do want you to know we need to be giving. We need to be bringing something to give to the Lord. It's good for you to give a dollar bill to your kids and have them put it in the Sunday school plate. Let me tell you this. and I really will close after I say this. This week we had an impromptu lemonade stand that took place in front of my house. And uh, the kids were selling lemonade. And I don't know if you've ever seen kids sell lemonade before, but it's a racket. I mean, it's a racket. It's a scheme. I mean, look, they can put a nickel up there on that sign, and somehow or another they're charging two bucks a glass, even when the price is a nickel. And so they made, I don't know how much money they made off that. But a woman came over, one of our neighbors, and she said, I'll buy a glass of lemonade if the money is going to a good cause. Now, she probably would have been satisfied if they had said, oh, yeah, we're going to use it to, you know, go buy this or that or buy a new bicycle or something. That would probably have been a good enough cause for her. But that little idea that she said got sparked in the hearts of those kids that were out there. And I want you to know it's more than just my kids that were out there selling lemonade. And they decided that they were going to give it to United Way. I think that's pretty cool. It's good for us to instill in the hearts of our children to be givers. If your children earn an allowance, if they get five bucks a week for their allowance, or I don't know how much allowances are these days. My kids aren't so fortunate. (laughs) I preach about that sometimes too. But you ought to teach them, you should throw a few cents in to the plate when it comes around. Instill in their hearts as children what it means to be a cheerful giver. And when they grow old, they won't feel grudgingly in their giving, but they'll give cheerfully. Brother Craig will tell you, a lot of times on Sunday school, when I put a dollar in the plate, I like to fold it up and make all sorts of creations. Do you know why I do that? Because when I was a kid, my mom would give me a dollar to put in the plate at Sunday school. And as a little boy, I learned how to fold paper footballs. And so I'd fold every one of those dollar bills she'd give, give to me to put in the Sunday school plate into a paper football. And I just haven't broke that habit still today. What I'm trying to tell you is that cheerful giving isn't just having an impact now, but it has an impact on the generations to come to. And so let the people of Faith Church, let God's people be found to be cheerful givers. I thank you for listening to me. Y'all are still here, which I appreciate. Something on your hearts.